0: Okay, what's up every guy? What's up every guy? Whoa! (laughs) Welcome back to University, the podcast where we talk about Earth, existence, and the unknown. Uh, I'm host one, AJ Perrin. With me, as always, is...
1: Host two, Judson Martin.
0: (laughs) Cool. So if you hadn't read the title already, we're going to be talking about how we made a star <laughs> with lasers. Uh, that's the gist of it. It's
1: pretty sweet, honestly.
0: Yeah. Today we're talking about nuclear fusion, um, how long we've been working on nuclear fusion, what it means, and you know, how it relates to the energy crisis or atoms and subatomic particles and all that jazz. And you can only find it here. No, yeah, nowhere else. Nowhere else. We made this information, actually. We are basically the textbook. What's a good place to start, Judd, when you're jumping into a brand new topic?
1: Well, I mean, if we're going to talk about fusion, we've got to talk about the stuff that makes fusion happen, right? Like, right.
0: You've got to talk about the atom. Maybe an even better place to start is if we really back up and say, like, people have heard of nuclear fission and nuclear fusion. Good idea. Let's talk about the difference between the two. Sure. Okay. Or at least talk about nuclear fusion. No, I like that. Okay, cool. I like that a lot. So both nuclear fusion and nuclear fission yield millions of times more energy than the fossil fuels we can burn or wood or natural gas, anything like that. So people look at nuclear fission and nuclear fusion as an opportunity for energy in the future. The problem with nuclear fission, that's the one we currently implement. So if you think about a nuclear power plant, we're using nuclear fission, right? So um, the problem with nuclear fission is that we make a lot of radioactive waste, and we work with radioactive materials like uranium and plutonium when we're dealing with nuclear fission. That's where we can start. We know we've implemented nuclear fission so far. That's what we have in nuclear reactors when we do nuclear power is nuclear fission.
1: Yeah, so fission creates a lot of waste. It's not good for the environment. All right, so everybody knows the basic atom, right? Yeah. we got the nucleus, which is made up of protons, positively charged, neutrons, neutral charge, no charge. And then the electron spinning around the nucleus on the outside, negative charge. Boom. All right? Yep. So an interesting fact, though, if you were to weigh a nucleus of an atom, Mm -hmm. so like take, for example, hydrogen, one uh, proton and one neutron, that would actually weigh less than if you added together the weight of a proton and a neutron.
0: That's interesting. It weighs less.
1: Yeah. So, yeah, like, the weight of the nucleus is different because there's some missing mass when you throw that stuff together. Um, Particle, or, well, pieces of the nucleus, uh, or pieces of the protons and neutrons get broken off when you smash them together, and you lose a little bit of mass. Exactly.
0: Fission... Nuclear fission, that's when we, t- like, let's put it in the context of a nuclear power plant. So what are they doing there that's creating a lot a lot of energy, you know, that's allowed to power cities, basically, right? And that is taking the place in a lot of spaces of fossil fuels and uh, coal and whatnot. So we're, they take a neutron, so a piece, like Judd was saying, a piece of that nucleus, and we shoot it at really high speeds at another particle, most often uh, plutonium or uranium. And when we slam these, or when this neutron slams into the other atom, it creates two smaller atoms, and there's, those are known as the fission products. So additional neutrons are released off of this initial, initial collision, and it starts kind of a chain reaction. Oh. So We've got neutrons flying off of giant, giant atoms um, colliding with other things, and it releases a lot of energy when we have these collisions, so... Um, typically the energy uh, that comes off of these collisions is used to boil, not boil, but, like, turn water into steam, and then the steam rises and turns a turbine. And So then we can take the turbine spinning and convert that into electricity, just like we do with wind power or with hydroelectric power. So it's all about using the energy from these collisions to turn water into steam. That's why when you think of nuclear power plants, those big spouts where it looks like smoke's coming out of that's not smoke that's steam
1: yeah i think it's funny because like if you think about history it's always like all of science can be summed up into like finding new ways to boil water
0: yeah okay (laughs) give us another example
1: well like a steam engine oh yeah you were Mm -hmm. using steam to turn turbines and stuff like that so it's like all we do for energy forever that's what we've mostly done
0: yeah Yeah, it's true, just finding new ways to boil water because it it
1: spins things. Yeah, more efficient ways.
0: I mean, even before we knew how to boil the water, we were using the water to turn the things that milled our um, wheats and stuff like that on arms. You know, that's why they had those mills right next to the water. Cool. So nuclear fusion is a much different thing, though, than nuclear fission. Yeah. Okay. So instead of slamming the neutron into the atom, we slam an atom into an atom, which seems like... It wouldn't have been that far of a leap, you know? Like, I don't know why scientists originally just said, we're just going to start with the neutron. Personally, I would have started with slamming two of the things together and see what happens, but... would have been a lot cooler. Right. Um, Typically, these atoms are hydrogen, and what we're trying to do is combine two hydrogens into a helium uh, atom. So hydrogen is the first element on the periodic table, right? So, Jed, that means it has how many protons and neutrons? Just one. Yeah, just one. Exactly. And then, so helium is the second element, and it has two protons. So if we do one plus one, like, do you see where I'm... One plus
1: one. But when I was saying one plus one doesn't quite equal two...
0: It doesn't quite equal the mass of two, right, but we'll get to that. But basically, we're combining two hydrogens to make a helium, so... And
1: there are these special types of hydrogen. Yeah,
0: exactly. Because one of them
1: is called deuterium, which is just like what you're talking about, one proton, one neutron. The other one is called uh, triterium, which is... Two protons, or two neutrons, sorry, and one proton.
0: Yeah. It's a a difficult process because like atoms aren't just willing to fuse together on command. Um, We know that atoms easily form bonds with each other because we have covalent bonds, we have ionic bonds and stuff like this, but it's difficult to get them to change their chemical identity by literally combining them because that's not something that really happens naturally but if we can make nuclear fusion the output of the energy is several times greater than fission so we've we're already taking a step in the right direction if we're going with fusion The problem is it's just a little bit harder there are also like you were saying no radioactive byproducts so that makes it uh, a really worthwhile like green energy solution people talk about yeah yeah
1: because like the storage facilities for that radioactive waste you're basically shoving it underground in a concrete and, like, a massive chunk of concrete.
0: Yeah, to make sure places. it doesn't, like, radiate into nearby areas. Yeah,
1: and they're filling up the the bunkers, the concrete bunkers that we have it stored in. So a lot of them are filling up and we're running out of places to, to store it.
0: And it takes a long time, like millions of years for this to...
1: Yeah, we'll never see it. We'll never see it get un Calm
0: down. Yeah, unradioactive, yeah. un- un- exactly. That's a good way to put it. So, Judd, <clears throat> can you tell me why we choose to use hydrogen as the kind of element of choice when we're doing nuclear fusion
1: sure so like why what we were talking about earlier was um the deuterium and tritium basically those are the like two types of hydrogen that we smash together in fusion um and the reason we do that is because that extra neutron in um tritium can doesn't get smashed together with the the nucleus of the new atom, it gets uh, sent off, which we can use that mass for more energy. Um, so it's the most efficient element; it produces the most energy when we fuse two he- hydrogens versus like any other element. I like so, it. and then even when we get up to an element like iron, which we talked about in the last episode as the center of a lot of dying stars. Yeah. The yeah. reason for that is, as you when you get to iron, the curve of energy. Versus mass starts to go downwards instead of yeah. upwards anymore.
0: Yeah. Like, exactly. You were saying um, about the sun. We talked about it the last episode. The sun undergoes fusion all the time. So when we talk about, you know, creating a star in a lab, that's essentially what nuclear fusion is, is when we can harness nuclear fusion, we're doing exactly what the sun does. Yeah. So
1: it's, The sun's cheating, too.
0: Exactly. 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 <laughs> um, It's possible in the future that the closest stars to us in our galaxy will be in the nearest big city to you. You know what I'm saying? That's cool. That's awesome.
1: One kind of interesting thing is if you take two kilograms of both, um, if you take two kilograms of deuterium and three kilograms of tritium in Einstein's equation... Those protons, the leftover protons, will add up to about 0.02 kilograms or 20 grams. Um, And in Einstein's equation, that'll give enough energy to power 50,000 homes for a whole year.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's a lot of energy just from a little bit of mass. It's the equivalence of like the amount of coal that you'd have to burn to get for the same amount of mass that we make out of nuclear fusion. Yeah, it's it's incredible. It's cool. You talked about, like, Einstein's equation, E equals mc2. That's the one you're referring to, right? mc2. mc2, man. Wow. E equals mc2. Yeah. So I didn't know about this stuff until I started researching it for the episode, but it's like the energy-mass equivalence equation. So he's basically saying that energy and mass are interchangeable
1: mass itself has an intrinsic amount of energy without any other like outside movement so like obviously if something's moving it has energy but if mass is just sitting still it still has a certain amount of energy
0: yeah i had i found an example from pbs which is really cool because it was the example was from 2005 so that's like 18 years ago now and it is basically talking about nuclear fusion, like, before we did it. So I thought it was kind of cool how they were talking about it before we did it. So they said, if you could turn every one of the atoms in a paperclip into pure energy, right? Like, so through this equation, equals mc squared. If we take the mass of a paperclip and we translate that into energy, uh, leaving no mass whatsoever. So, like, imagine it was just, like, boom, instant paperclip bomb. Um, The paperclip would yield 18 kilotons of TNT, yeah. And that's roughly the size of the bomb that destroyed Hiroshima. So a paperclip has that Crazy. energy, right? Um, and it would require, but they said it would require temperatures and pressures greater than those at the core of our sun. Yep. Flash forward 18 years, we're getting to the point where we can have the temperatures and pressures and densities of energy that's at the center of our sun. So that's pretty cool.
1: Yeah, it's uh, just for like a split second. Um the actual temperature required is what we well, estimate to be like a hundred million degrees Celsius,
0: yeah, really, really hot, so yeah. like not not quite your like campfire comfort situation, yeah more like stay away through a couple like tungsten walls, you know what I'm saying
1: <laughs> and the sun is the center of the sun is fifteen million yeah. degrees Celsius, so it's what seven times, yeah, seven times greater than the center of the sun. And the reason... So you might be like, okay, the sun isn't even hot enough to do fusion. How is the sun doing fusion? Yeah. Well, the gravity at the center of the sun, that's why the sun is able to cheat a little bit is because it has such strong gravity. Exactly. It's creating, like, artificial pressure, basically. Well, not artificial, but it's creating pressure that we can't have here on Earth from the gravity.
0: Exactly. All the densest elements in the sun are going to fall towards the center because of that gravity. It's the same reason Earth has a core of, I think it's iron and nickel. I feel like we should talk about now, at least in the U.S., what, what attempting nuclear fusion looks like, like how we make nuclear fusion. At the Lawrence Livermore National Laboratories, that's where on December 5th last year, and this isn't like a news podcast, but a couple, within a recent period of time, they are able to achieve nuclear fusion, meaning they got more energy out of the system. Now, we'll put an asterisk on this because we'll talk about it later, but, like, they got more energy out through the process of nuclear fusion than than they put into it. So what they do at the Lawrence Livermore National Laboratories, they have kind of a building called the National Ignition Facility, and at the National Ignition Facility, just so we can put this into scale for a second, I think when what we were listening to, Jed, they said it's three football fields yep. long, and it's 10 stories tall. Yep. So imagine the size of the lasers that they're going to have running through this building because what they do is they're trying to use – they have 197 lasers. It might be 196. 192. 192. Yep. Okay. 192 lasers that they are firing – and this is a simplified version for the time being, but, like, firing at atoms to try to mush them together and make fusion. And so the lasers need to be really powerful, so they've got tubes running the entire length of the building so that these lasers can bounce back and forth and amplify themselves before they, you know, fire.
1: Yeah, it's pretty crazy. So, like, they're focusing... It begins all at just as just one laser, one really strong laser, and then it splits into those 192... And then those 192 go bounce off all these mirrors and go through all these lenses to make them stronger and like a certain wavelength of light to fire them all at this one little target.
0: Yeah. So if you can get the little target that you're talking about, this fusion core, if you can get it hot enough and fast enough and keep it that way for long enough, you get this kind of self-sustaining fusion reaction. Otherwise, it's kind of like when you're starting your car and the battery kind of fizzles out and you don't get that initial spark to start the engine obviously protons um we were talking about hydrogen has one proton and protons like charges repel so it's not going to be easy to kind of it's like you ever when you're a child you're holding magnets that repel each other and you're trying to get them to like touch each other on the repel sides, and they kind of wiggle back and forth yeah so the lasers have to be able to push the atoms evenly on in all directions so they don't, you know, kind of pop out as a magnet does when you're pushing. That's
1: crazy. Together. Yeah. Because... Completely the, evenly yeah. from all angles. You might not think about it, but the strength of the the magnetism in those little atoms is way stronger than the magnets that you were trying to push together. Exactly. Like, they were way tougher to get close together. In than, the,
0: and the closer they get, yeah. the harder it is to push them or exactly. to push them together. So... What you have to overcome, once you overcome this threshold of these protons, like, not wanting to touch each other, you get what's called the strong nuclear force, um, which is a strong force in the nucleus, basically, that's what glues all protons and neutrons together in the center of all atoms. So once you can get it to kind of, get them to kind of agree to sit next to each other, they kind of merge uh, based on those high temperatures and pressures. So once you can get them um, together, what we found, like you said, is that the mass of the combined atom is less, and that's because with this mass equivalency or mass-energy equivalency, equals E equals mc squared, we find that the extra mass that's missing from the products is turned into pure energy. Yeah. It's wow. pretty
1: interesting, yeah. So, like, one plus one doesn't equal two. Exactly. Talking about the when you're talking about the nucleus, man, it just doesn't equal two. Yeah. Okay. So, like, going off kind of on a tangent here, uh, when you were talking about fusion in the U.S., this uh, facility that did that had the breakthrough in December wasn't actually like the one of the main ways that we've been trying to accomplish fusion.
0: Right. There's a bunch of other ways.
1: Yeah. So the the main ways involve these really strong magnets and the fourth state of matter called plasma. I don't know what's cooler, a bunch of lasers being, sh- like, super powerful lasers being shot at it or a ring of glowing purple
0: plasma. See, that's cool, too. Like, that's something that'd show up in a sci-fi movie and then, like, the main supervillain would steal it, try to make a bomb.
1: Yeah. yeah. So, basically, the this other type of fusion um, involves what's called a torus, which is basically a donut. And if you've looked up <laughs> nuclear fusion, not
0: like not like one you can eat, right? No, no, no. Okay, okay.
1: Okay, so the this donut, is, the outside of the donut is surrounded with these super strong electromagnets. Um and then the inside is filled with a certain gas, most likely hydrogen, um that's heated up super hot until it becomes the fourth state of matter called plasma. When it does that, Plasma is, like, purple. So that's probably the pictures you've seen if you ever looked up nuclear fusion. It's yeah. probably those. Um, so it's pretty cool. If it's something super hot, like plasma, it wants to go everywhere. Like, it wants to flow out. And that's just how gases are in the first place. They fill any container you put them in. So what the electromagnets are for is to keep the plasma contained in a ring that we can use to then hold it there and then heat something, for example, water and... We found a new way to boil water.
0: Exactly. <laughs> okay, Judd, let's take a break, and then we'll be right back to talk more. Okay, we're back from the break. Um, Judd, you were telling me that there's different places that are attempting fusion at the moment, like not outside the U.S., I mean.
1: Yeah, so, well, there's a bunch <laughs> of different ones everywhere. Um the main one that was going on before this international – or the the American facility mm-hmm. did it um, was this one in France, which was an international project with over 22 countries or something like that. Were we a part of that? 35 countries. Yeah, we were. Okay. Um, and it was a $22 billion reactor that was going to be built um, in France to power uh, a city in France. I don't know if it's fully built yet, um, but this was – Using the torus method, the the donut. Um, so it wasn't using the lasers, and so it was kind of surprising to see the lasers be the way that we got it done over this yeah. twenty two billion dollar project.
0: In terms of we're talking about public and private funding internationally, mm-hmm. it's quite a bit of money. Mm-hmm. I mean, we don't even. We're, that's not even talking about how much the U.S. puts into like the military or something. So right.
1: I mean, yeah, it's the biggest way that we're going to try to f- combat climate change mm-hmm. is creating clean energy so
0: right because that first step we need to take is like okay we've got clean energy but then it's not just like an instant switch like we no longer have problems with carbon dioxide because the amount like the parts per million in the air is still a big deal so we have to worry about how are we going to make sure that stays out of the oceans and gets like into the ground essentially the 22 million dollar project in france was that using so i was using the donut method the tourist method yeah and that's not hasn't completed construction quite yet. I
1: don't think that facility's done yet. There are okay. facilities doing the Taurus method
0: now. Is this an experimental facility where they're going to try to work on it, or do they basically like have the kinks figured out and they're going to go try to use this as a like a power plant essentially?
1: No, it's all still very experimental. Right, we really haven't figured out how to make it work.
0: Yeah, nuclear fusion on a commercial scale is not something we are likely to see in the next 10 years. I know the president after last December, when they achieved nuclear fusion for that first time at Lawrence Livermore, like the Department of Energy was going wild. They were like, okay, well, we just did this. And so it's the biggest breakthrough in science ever. And we're going to be doing nuclear. And Biden was like, we're going to make sure this happens like within a decade. But that's a really, really ambitious if not impossible goal because there's a lot of limitations to it at the moment,
1: yeah, no I think it's exciting though I mean that's how you get something started
0: is get you get people excited about it, right exactly. How long have we been trying to do nuclear fusion? we're working on it because I know the o- we've known about nuclear fusion since nineteen you know forty five
1: It began in the Cold War, I think, mm-hmm. and it's kind of started from there, Russia and China were uh like another other two nations that were really going
0: after it exactly yeah Hi- hydrogen bombs use nuclear fusion the only difference between that you're like okay well if we can make hydrogen bombs don't we already know how to make nuclear fusion the difference between um the nuclear fusion we're trying now and the bomb kind of nuclear fusion is that one is controlled and one isn't and it's really hard to control uh, nuclear fusion you know yeah but we've been at it for a long time the first films of us attempting nuclear fusion are in black and white When did we really start, like, kicking nuclear fusion into gear, at least in the United States, you know, like, start working on it?
1: Well, a lot of these projects that are being built now... So, one thing about, like, scientific projects uh, is the fact that, like, they aren't really put into, like, fruition until many years after they're designed. So, like, these designs of the reactors we're building now were designed in the 90s.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's true. That is true. So,
1: the reason that is is because, like, money... It's really hard to fund huge projects like this. And then also just, like, building something that huge is going to take time.
0: We've mentioned the National Ignition Facility a lot, uh, but maybe it would be worthwhile just to talk about this is the first facility in the world that's ever done nuclear fusion. So what are they doing there specifically, you know, that makes them so cool?
1: Right. They were the first ones to get more energy out than in. Right. Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but... And with an asterisk on that. But there were other places that were accomplishing fusion, just they weren't getting more energy out.
0: Yeah, exactly. Because we we can attempt it, but, like, if the ratio, if you don't meet that energy threshold, there's really no point. It's not a self-sustaining reaction.
1: Right. And the first place that actually achieved the temperatures even required was this uh, laboratory in China. They got it up to 100 million degrees Celsius.
0: So... At the National Ignition Facility, that's where we first uh, got this to work. They have 192 lasers, like you mentioned. Each one produces more power, a thousand times more power than the entire U.S. power grid. That's pretty cool. For every shot. Exactly. That much power would, if it wasn't controlled, absolutely like shut down the U.S. power system. So they have to yeah. have these giant capacitors in the facility... It's part of the reason the facility's so big, to store up all this energy. And, of course, they most likely use that to fire shots again because— Wouldn't want to touch that one. Yeah. It's a tough capacitor, man. Yikes. Um, but so the other thing they're making at Lawrence Livermore are the target shells that they shoot with these lasers. Yep. So these are really, really small. They're half the diameter of a BB, like a BB pellet, the metal ones. Yep. Um. And their shells are made out of freaking diamond. That's cool. I was just thinking that those diamonds are, or those shells are iced out. <laughs> <laughs> They're just trying to be like, well, Trippy. if we're going to put $3 billion into this project, bro, we might as well <laughs> ice out our target shells. Um, but that wouldn't make, really make sense because they blow them up like the second after. So um, Sweet. They load these shells. So we talked about hydrogen is what you use to do fusion. Um, They load the shells with hydrogen at negative 430 degrees Fahrenheit. So they have to cool it down really slow because atoms move and, you know, especially hydrogen, it's a gas. So you have to cool it down so you can force it into this tiny (laughs) shell. The reason they're so small, you might be thinking, like, why don't we just make the target bigger? Is because if we made the target any bigger, we'd need a lot more power from the lasers. So we're... Even though these lasers are so powerful, we're still constrained um, by, like, a certain uh, threshold for how big we can make these target shells. But they are almost perfectly round, yeah. and they have a roughness of about 100 times better than a mirror. So, like, I think that's the funniest phrase ever because you never would say mirror is, a mirror is rough. Right. And now we're saying it's 100 times smoother than a mirror. Um, Perfect. Yeah, but it's incredibly important to make sure they're this round because, as we talked about before, the energy has to be evenly distributed everywhere. Otherwise, the hydrogens are not going to be forced together. Um, So, the conditions have to be really nice. They actually make 1,500 of these shells in a year only to use 150 of them.
1: Yeah, cuz they got to be perfect.
0: Yeah, they got, and I who that's the funny thing. How do you test this thing to be like <laughs> perfect? You made 1500 of these stupid little BBs and now you're like this one doesn't look like this one. They look the exact same when you see them in like videos of them. Yeah. But yet some of them have imperfections that would make them unusable, right? right. But they're taking about one shot. Um meaning, you know, firing up these lasers and shooting it at the target. They take about a little over one shot a day, uh, which is important because if we were going to do this commercially, how many shots do you think we'd have to take, um, you know, like a day? A lot. I yeah. mean, a lot. Try 10 shots a second. Yeah. So these lasers would have to be constantly firing, um, which means we'd have to make a lot of these balls and they're hard to make. And they're hard to make because the
1: like I was talking about, they're made of deuterium and uh, tritium, which are two um, isotopes that are not naturally occurring. Like there are probably the hydrogen isotopes. Yes, yeah. there are probably only like a couple kilograms of these in the entire in the entire globe.
0: Yeah, so we have to make it count essentially. So we can't. That's why they toss out so many of these. Only use a hundred fifty out of fifteen hundred, so one in ten, because they can't use stuff that doesn't work.
1: Yep, yeah, and. Like, that just adds to the fact, like, we have to create the the fuel cells, which just adds to the fact that, like, we can't do this right now. Yeah. Or we're not getting enough energy out of it right now because we have to put more energy into making the fuel cells yeah. and focusing the lasers and all this other stuff.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So we talked about, Judd, like, they got more energy out than they put in. That's the big buzzword that everybody had been hearing for the last couple months. Like, we achieved nuclear fusion. But, like you were saying, they put so much energy into turning the lasers on, essentially, like getting them on and powering the infrastructure of the National Ignition Facility that really you're putting in about 300 units of energy in getting about three out.
1: Yep. So they used the The lasers use 300 megajoules, um, and when you get down to the amount of energy that the lasers produce, it's only two. Yeah. So that's why, and then we got out 3.5. Right. So that's why they were able to say, okay, we we got more energy than we put in because there was only two megajoules of energy going into from the, the lasers. Yeah. Going into the um, target, target <laughs> and then 3.5 came out. So they were able to say it was. More than we put in just for the target area, but not for the whole facility.
0: Exactly. So you couldn't (laughs) – that would literally be an anti-energy facility if we were trying to do that commercially because we'd just drain the entire U.S. power system to just keep firing this thing. To make, this is a big – this is the big, like, headline was the difference of 2 megajoules and 3.5 megajoules, that's about enough energy to boil two pots of coffee. So that's – pretty significantly low if we're trying to make power for the entire United States. But it's still cool, and it's a step in the right direction, you know? It is.
1: One thing to take note of is, like we said, this facility was designed in the 90s. So these the laser systems that this facility has are really old, and they're only about 0.5% efficient. Only 0.5, which is really low. And then... Yeah new laser systems that we have nowadays are about 20 to 30 for 5% efficient. So a a huge jump in efficiency. So that alone could get this facility up to producing more energy.
0: Yeah. Judd, with our vast knowledge and multiple degrees, how long, let's make a guess here so we can check back with each other in the future, you know, decades from now, and we can see who won. When do you think not you know, nationwide or anything, but when do you think the first commercial nuclear fusion plant is going to be in operation?
1: Operational commercial. I want to say I want to be optimistic to, optimistic and say in like 2035 we'll probably have an ex- we'll probably have been able to produce more energy than we put in without the asterisk.
0: Without the asterisk? But You said 2035?
1: Yeah, somewhere yeah, around okay. there. But okay. that's probably on that scale where we're doing it once.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: every day rather yeah. than, or maybe a little quicker, but just not at the full scale that we need to be. Right. And then, so I'll put another 10 years, so 10 to 15 on that. So I'll say 45 to 50, 20, 45. to 20 45, 20 50. 20
0: 50. I heard somebody else, a mathematician, who's kind of, uh, he does like economic analysis or something. He was saying um, on 60 Minutes, that he doesn't think it's going to be available until about 2050. Yeah. Um. So that would that pretty much checks out because there's a lot of steps we got to make the laser. We have the lasers getting better, but we need the lasers to get even better. We need the targets to get better. We need the facility to get better. And we need a lot more money, too, because any project like this is going to be expensive. And although we said $3 billion in the last 13 months, that is not enough money at all. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. How do we get people to give money to this cause, and it's like the people who invented things like or built the infrastructure that would eventually lead to to roads to you know public school and stuff like that they maybe didn't see that in their lifetime, but that is such a those are pivotal systems that influence right. our entire lives now, and that if we can put enough money into something like this now eventually this is really going to shape the future. So we owe it not only to the people of the past who have invested in us, uh, but we owe it to the people in the future to make an investment now for them.
1: Right. I think it comes down to, like like I said, those those scientists designed these machines in like the 90s. And in order to design a machine like that and be trusted with it, you probably have to be late in your career. So yeah. they're probably pretty old. They might not be around right now, so it's yeah. like... You know, you put all your work into this, your life's work goes into this project, and sure, maybe you don't see it, but it it changes the world. And, like, the money part of it is the same. Like, maybe you put money into this project and maybe you won't even see that money be spent, but it's worth it in the end because somebody else will.
0: Exactly. Those engineers you were talking about who worked in the 90s to build this facility or or to get this project up and running, now we finally did nuclear fusion for the first time and so why quit now you know this is the time where we really have to recognize that it's possible and we just got to keep grinding at it you know eventually it'll work out in the time being though it's nice that we've have you know electric vehicles becoming more common and stuff like that so there's other infrastructure developing on top of this so eventually once we really find our perfect green energy solution a lot of that technology will be ready readily adopted by consumers
1: yeah and it's it's interesting because like we have the electric cars now, and as more and more um, items like household items or things like cars move to electric, um, we're also finding that our power grid and other infrastructure that we have is is not going to work um, because as more things move electric we replace the gas powered things with electric power and we don't have an, we're not generating enough electric power to power all these things yeah and for example like things like solar and wind they only work when it's sunny or windy yeah so we need to find a way to store the energy produced mm-hmm. on sunny and windy days to save for cloudy and rainy days so that all this stuff can still run and so that's an interesting problem that we have. That there's some solutions to it, but none of them are really working right now.
0: Because mm-hmm. the U.S. like the U.S. power grid doesn't really take off days or ever turn off and just go to their kind of their battery supply. Yeah, you know,
1: a capacitor stores it, but it's not very good at it. Doesn't really release it slowly. Yeah, it releases it all at once, all really at once powerful. Time. And capacitors also lose a lot over time sure um,
0: what you were saying about the cloudy and rainy days we have to store what we make on the sunny and windy days for the cloudy and rainy days <laughs> that was like so <laughs> motivational for no reason i was like dang so <laughs> when i'm having a great day on a sunny day you know i gotta remember those sunny days on the on the cloudy days yeah and just like there you go man yeah <laughs> okay let's take a break and then come right back to it to finish the, off the episode okay all right did you ever watch this um did you ever watch the simpsons when you were a kid no oh that was like my go. that's still my go-to animated show bro i think i wasn't
1: allowed bro why
0: not because i guess i don't I
1: know was- it was just like
0: I don't know. It wasn't something as I watched as a kid, more as it was just something I got into over the last like 5 years that now I just love this Simpsons. When did a lot. the
1: Simpsons predict that we're going to get nuclear, uh, nuclear fusion, fusion, Oh bro. my god, they yeah. They predict everything.
0: They predict The Simpsons have predicted so many major events. And I swear every time there's a news, <laughs> there's a news headline that comes out, the second news headline is Simpsons The predicted. Simpsons predicted blank. What's really going on here, yeah. bro? I and think
1: the Simpsons the the writer of The Simpsons, like you were saying, he's probably the leader of the Illuminati, bro.
0: Oh, because he's predicting everything? Yeah,
1: no. He just he's putting it in the show and then he's like making certain events happen that'll make those events happen in real life.
0: I'm gonna send him an email or a link to this episode and get his response. feedback. Yeah. yeah. When do you think nuclear fusion will be there? If you could respond though, that'd be so cool.
1: I wonder if people like do that. Like email him when stuff is gonna happen.
0: Anytime I'm talking about nuclear power or anything, I'm always thinking about Homer because that's his job is he's an engineer at the nuclear power plant in Springfield. And, like, so the lake behind the power plant is deadly. Whenever I think about nuclear power, I'm like, I really hope the guy who's working the power plant isn't, exactly like Homer Simpson because that would be deadly because Homer literally doesn't even know what he's doing he's just pressing buttons all day or hey. sleeping and eating donuts perfect seems like a good job though because nuclear engineers we were just reading that they're the highest paying yep. engineering position nuclear and petroleum
1: and I know submarines are they're right now they're fission but they're working on maybe or um yeah they're they're, another fission and I think maybe some
0: fusion stuff fusion are, submarines might be worked on but If you want to have the scariest job ever, not only put yourself in a metal box a thousand feet below the surface of the ocean, do that with a nuclear bomb in it. (laughs) That's terrifying. It's awesome. Okay. To some extent, yeah, but like you've seen the Titanic, bro, (laughs) and it's not even like you don't get to jump overboard when your submarine crashes. No, bro, go for it. Bro, <laughs> open the door at – we talked about this on, like, one of the first episodes. It's like every 12 feet you go down, it adds so much more. Yeah, one atmosphere. One atmosphere, yeah. And so imagine how far you are underground or under – not underground, in the ocean, and you open <laughs> the door to the – outs or to the ocean – Imagine how quickly the water is going to enter the thing. It's, it's going to really hit not. you so fast. Well, you're no, gonna, you're
1: going to die instantly.
0: You're going to die instantly. You're going to open the door, and it's going to slam you against the wall. I mean, it could be heads-
1: fun. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like dying in the be black with hole, me. bro. Be real with me. It's just like dying in a black hole. You may as well go out in a blaze of glory.
0: I actually ate lunch with a
1: guy through the engineering program. That uh,
0: That was the most professional thing you've ever said in your entire life. I had lunch recently with an associate. He like was a
1: he was an aerospace engineer here like me and now he's working on portable um nuclear reactors that's sick so like or like not portable but smaller size pocket sized radiation <laughs> just pocket sized cancer yeah you just shoot shoot the gun at somebody and they get cancer
0: you want to know what pocket sized cancer <laughs> looks like bro it's this every <laughs> single your, day your, your phone pocket. is radiating okay until next time everybody uh not sure what the episode topic's going to be but Thank you, as always, for listening. And make sure to keep an eye on our Instagram for all our updates on the show. So, yeah, Sweet. see you later. Peace out. We made a f-ing sun on the earth.